your host, Carmilla, and this is Cat Scratch Radio, a horror podcast. Welcome to Cat Scratch Radio, a horror podcast. I'm Carmilla, but my writer name is Matu C. Lawrence. I write horror and dark fantasy, often with a hint of romance, and I've been a horror enthusiast since I was seven years old, watching it on a small black and white TV in my grandmother's guest room. Nearly 30 years later, and I'm here to spread my love of horror to others. Today on the show, we have Matthew Brockmeyer, horror author of Under the Rotting Sky and Kind Lepenthe and co-host of the podcast Murder Coaster. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. Well, welcome to the show. And today we're going to be discussing the intersection between horror and crime. Correct? That sounds good to me. All right. Why don't you get us started? Well, um, obviously a lot of horror is based on true crime. Uh, I suppose the most famous case of all would be Ed Gein. I'm sure you're familiar with him. He was a known as the Butcher of Plainsfield in 1950s in Wisconsin. He um, he was mostly a ghoul. He killed two people that they know of, but he he wasn't necessarily a serial killer. He he really liked to dig up bodies. Oh, and uh, yeah, and he he made all kinds of things with them. He, uh, lampshades out of human faces. He had a belt of women's nipples. He was also a cannibal. When they came to his house, they found a heart being cooked um but he uh made himself he was obsessed with his mother he loved his mother and when she died mm-hmm. he, he went into like a psychosis and he tried to build a suit of women that reminded him of his mother so he would read the obituaries in the newspaper and try to find recently deceased older women who resembled his mother and dig up their bodies and skin them and then he made this suit out of them that he would dance in the moonlight with and that went on to um inspired countless horror films from and horror books uh from psycho both the book and the alfred hitchcock film uh texas chainsaw massacre silence of the lambs just uh, among many i mean there was a whole bit about that in american horror story as well Oh yeah, which 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 episode? Which season? I want to say it was the Asane Asylum one, which Asylum. Right. It's um, been a while since I've seen that. I love yeah. that show. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while either. But what's uh, interesting is that um, he became to be known as a transvestite since he was wearing his mother's skin. But I wouldn't, or is even transgender. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily call him transgender because of him doing that. I think it was more of a mother fixation. But so you too. can see it in these films in, in in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Leatherface is his his he's wearing makeup and he's the he's like the woman of the house. He's cooking mm-hmm. and cleaning, and uh, obviously um, uh, Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. And then it got carried on to this film by Brian De Palma called Dress to Kill. Have you seen that one? I have not. It's a, you know, if you're, if you're into Brian De Palma, it's, it's a it's a really well-made movie, but I, I find it in, incredibly homophobic. And, and actually, there's parts of it that are just straight up racist as well. Oh, my gosh. They're, they're depictions of it. It's like in the, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, it was just a different time. And I, I don't think that brian de palma necessarily holds those political views i think he's probably a good guy but it was just you know a different time when i don't think people realized exactly what they were doing 
Oh, yeah. I was having this discussion with my boyfriend the other day about how some movies just do not hold up. Like, we're so socially aware now, especially with the internet and everything, that these things that have all of these heavy homophobia and transphobia and stuff like that were just like, oh, I did not notice that as a kid. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so... Tell me a little bit, has any of this influenced your own writing? Absolutely. Um, I've been a true crime fanatic ever since I was a little kid. Um, my dad is a was a true crime um, fan, and I used to, like, steal his books, like Helter Skelter and um, The Stranger Beside Me about Ted Bundy. And so um, my love of horror and my love of true crime have, like, completely intermingled Uh and and so as a writer yeah i'm i focus a lot on crime um i all my stories and books take place in humboldt county california which is a notoriously outlaw place um it's like considered the uh cannabis center of the the planet and it's it's very rural with a lot of rednecks and a lot of drugs and so uh drugs and crime or or just something I, I have to put in every story just about. I have a, a habit of doing that myself, too. Um, currently, because I'm a horror author as well, currently I'm working on a... What, the love interest in my book is actually a murderer and is, like, slowly killing people to try and prevent some catastrophe. But uh, she's killed enough people that she's, like, a serial killer at this point. And so I've been taking a lot of influence from female serial killers, which there are very few of. Yeah, well, we got it was it's interesting um, to think about what what is the definition of a serial killer? People say that Eileen Wernos is a serial killer, and I don't necessarily see her as technically a serial killer. I, I see her more as a thief who just liked to execute her victims because it was easier for her to um, get their belongings. But I would consider Carla Homolka a serial killer or, or a serial killer in um, it, 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 a budding serial killer like she would have become. She truly enjoyed uh, torturing and, and uh, sexual sadism. She was interesting in that she was both a sadist and a masochist. You know, she liked Paul. You know, what I'm talking about, right? Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, I'm just I'm I've been fascinated with her for a long time because um, I've I've found uh, very accurate descriptions of those tapes that they were apparently destroyed, but uh, the people who some of the people who saw them wrote like what they saw and and, and she gleefully participated in the uh, torture of those girls is horrendous. Yeah, I I can't fathom like the mindset that puts people in this way, like what makes them want to murder people and stuff like that. I just don't have the brains for it, which reminds me of the movie. Have you seen The Cell? No, it's not the Stephen King book, is it? Uh, no, uh, uh, no, I don't I think, think so. I have seen it. Uh, is it like cell, like as in a, a as in like a, a prison, like a place that you would put someone? Kind of. So it's about the serial killer that gets um, arrested. They catch him. And so they decide to ex experiment on him. And it's very much leans into the sci-fi of horror. And so this detective goes into 
well, I don't know, she's a detective or a therapist, I can't remember exactly, but she goes into his mind and she's like exploring his mind and trying to figure out what makes a serial killer and how do they think that way and everything. It's really a disturbing movie, but it's very good. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I mean, it's, yeah, to this day, psychologists really don't understand what it is yeah. that drives someone, you know? I mean, most serial killers are sexual sadists. Um, you know, yeah, <laughs> that is a big part of it for sure. A lot of it is a power trip and stuff like that. Like, um, infamous with Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, definitely slept with all of his victims before killing them, or, or after he was a necrophiliac, yeah. Oh, he, yeah, he, he loves to sleep with, with dead people, or he would also go to the bathhouses and drug people. Yeah, so that he could have sex with there because he liked a uh, uh, unresponsive, uh, mm -hmm. unconscious person. Yeah, yeah, and he's a cannibal. A and he's a cannibal. He definitely. There's a lot of serial killers that are cannibals on like in a very disturbing like turn of events. They're like, I'll just eat it. Um, well, no, I think it's the ultimate form of control. You you know true. you've actually like taken them and made them a part of you. You've put them into your body. It's. Uh, and I think that doesn't help with the psychosis that they're already dealing with because eating human meat is like really bad for us. Is it's, it? Yeah. So it works similar to mad cow disease. Like if we feed beef to cows, they get mad cow disease. If you eat human meat as a human, you get a form of like madness from it. I've never heard that. Well, there's, there's Wendy, Wendigo psychosis, which is a madness that makes you want to become a cannibal. But I mean, um, because uh, we did we covered the Wendigos on my podcast, Murder Coaster, and um, there was a famous case uh, where the guy ate his entire family and he survived the whole winter. <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, there's a, um, I mean, the Donner Party, of course. Well, the Donner Party. What's really hilarious about that is that the Donner Party would have survived if they weren't racist, because they had been offered food by Native Americans multiple times. Well, they had Native American guides and they killed them yeah. and ate them. <laughs> yeah, they have been like offered help and they were just like, nah, we're just going to eat each other. I don't know what draws somebody to be so insanely racist and anti uh, somebody of a different skin color that they're like, cannibalism, that's the answer. <laughs> Yeah, cannibalism is a, a definitely a fascinating subject. Um, you know, we, I mean, we're, we're we're talking about from necessity, but like from someone like Dahmer or Ed Gein or you know the people who uh, do it out of have boy. a fetish, you know, mm -hmm. a sexual fetish out of it. It's a it's definitely grotesque. very grotesque type of thing. Uh, there is a case of um, what do I call it? morally acceptable ethical cannibalism where a man had his leg ampu uh, amputated and he, they, he asked to keep it he kept it put it in the freezer and he made tacos out of it and invited his friends over to enjoy tacos with him um, everybody knew that it was human meat and that it was his leg and it's considered technically an ethical cannibalism because he gave consent I'm not familiar with that. I'll have to look that up. 
that's that sounds incredibly interesting. Um, there was uh, Robert Picton up in Canada. Uh, would would he had a hog farm and he was killing all these prostitutes. He killed over fifty of them, and he ground the meat up and made it in with the with the pork. And um, his brother was a biker involved with the Hell's Angels, and they would have these huge parties, and he would serve everybody the food and um some people got hepatitis from eating it uh yeah that's not shocking like at all <laughs> because um especially if it's not cleaned and prepped properly like you can get hepatitis b hepatitis a like and if the person has an std or anything you're gonna get that too so cannibalism kind of probably not the best thing ever to do <laughs> humans aren't the cleanest of animals we're really not <laughs> No matter how much we think we are the cleanest animal. <laughs> but yeah, so speaking of cannibalism and crime, <laughs> we got on a tangent there about cannibalism. Um, what would you say is like one of the most disturbing true crime events that you've ever heard of? Oh, geez. There's just so many. Um I mean, for me, what, what, what's disturbing is usually anything involving children. That's that's really a tough one for me. Oh, yeah. That's hard to stomach. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. There's just so many fucked up cases. That, that Robert Picton, when I was just talking about, it, it gave me nightmares for some reason. I think it was just because um, the descriptions of his farm is, is just so disgusting and gross. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They're also disturbing. I mean, when you read the the, the transcripts of what Carla Homolka and uh, Paul Bernardo had done, I mean, the mm -hmm. way they tortured those girls. Torture's pretty intense, too. <laughs> yeah. Torture is something that it's cringe to think about. It's like automatically. But I was talking about that Wendigo case. I mean, this guy's name was Swift Runner. Mm -hmm. um, he was a Cree Native American, and he forced his son to kill his sister and eat her. Oh, my God. So that's pretty disturbing there. Yeah. I, and it, I'm still at the point of fascination of the fact that there's so many um, murders that involve cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, we also covered. Oh, God, I'm blanking on the names. Oh, oh what were their names? But um. Do you know about that? There was a Greyhound bus driving through Canada and this guy just went berserk and started stabbing the guy next to him. And everyone, oh they pulled the bus over and everyone ran off and then he decapitated him and head, held the head up and then he pulled out his eyes and ate the eyes and then he cut out his heart and he ate the heart. And then he just started like cutting off pieces of meat in, off of him and putting him in the plastic bags. Oh my God. But, it, you know, it's a modern story, but it happened right where the Wendigo myth is, like, at its most prevalent. So it's, you know, yeah, this spirit of loneliness and, and cannibalism that can overtake someone and possess them. I'm trying to think of it, but there was this model in Canada. Um, this guy, he ate his own boyfriend. Um, but I just tried to look it up to get the guy's name and there's like several models who have killed and ate their partners. So <laughs> <laughs> oh. here I thought it was going to be like a one-off. This guy killed 
yeah, it's a crazy world, man. There's like a Wisconsin woman convicted of killing and dismembering her husband <laughs> and scattering his body parts in various places. Oh, well, wow. speaking of women f- f- serial killers, uh, have you followed the case of Shop Business? That's a really new one. No, I haven't heard of it. He, um, I don't know, on some methamphetamine-fueled sex, she murdered her boyfriend and then like had sex with the body for hours and then chopped them all up into little pieces. And uh, She left his head in his parents' basement, apparently by accident, not realizing she had left it there. That's how she was caught. Oh wow! And then when they went to court, she like attacked her lawyer. In like you can see the videos of her attacking her lawyer in court during the proceedings. It's pretty wild. She just got sentenced. At the end, they had to have her like all tied up with spit guards on and stuff in the courtroom. Oh wow! So I was wrong. It wasn't in Canada. It was in the UK, and it was former Mister Gay UK got caught of mur- murder and cannibalism. So. Apparently, oh, I want to I want to write that one down, Mister Gay, huh? Yeah, former Mister Gay UK. But yeah, apparently he chopped up his boyfriend and ate him. Yeah, it's a um, a sexual fetish, you know. You know, I, gosh, I'm bl- I keep blanking on names, but um, that guy in Germany who he put an who uh, answered an ad. Mm-hmm. And he um, brought him up to a, it was like a castle, and he uh, chopped off his penis while the guy was in the bed. The guy let him do it; it was completely consensual. Yeah, and then he yeah. bled to death. And uh, and then the worst thing is he burnt the penis, and he made it unedible. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was all for nothing. We did Albert Fish. He is incredibly disturbing, and he also killed children. He liked to kill children, so that's probably one of the most disturbing ones. Do you know all about that? And he wrote the letter letter to the little girl's mother and stuff. No, I haven't heard about it. This is in like the 1930s in um in New York City. He uh he he was this looks like a kindly old gentleman. Um, it, it's terrifying because he was known as the boogeyman, like the mm-hmm. original boogeyman. Like there was these little kids playing in a hallway in a tenement house, and when the one child's father came the other kid was missing and and he looked at his fr- playmate and said what happened and he said the boogeyman took him oh my god and they also called him the gray man because he was like uh elderly stooped he had a gray mustache gray hair and a, and a, and a gray parlor to him you know his mm-hmm. his skin tone and um like a child would go it was like kind of like the slender man you know like a child would go missing and they'd be like there was a gray man there and that's that's it. And it and became like, like an urban legend. And he got himself caught because he um he kidnapped this little girl right from her parents' house. He like he used to um be obsessed with the classified ads. Today he'd probably be an internet troll. He would go in the classified ads and find like people who were like looking to be a maid or looking to do this and just write them filthy, disgusting letters like Oh my god. Well, you can be my maid if you'll come and let me eat your shit and drink your pee and oh my god <laughs> but um so he, he 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 saw this classified ad for this uh boy who wanted to go work on a farm and he's like well i can kidnap this kid guy he looks good and he went over there but the guy was uh he was uh, 18 and he was much bigger than he had imagined but in walked this little girl 
I think she was eight years old. Her name was Grace Bud. And um, he ended up saying, I'm going to a birthday party. My sister is having a birthday party for my niece. I could take her to the birthday party. And they let this little girl go with this stranger. Oh, my God. That's insane. Yeah. And he took her to this abandoned, like the most creepy haunted house you can imagine. Like this abandoned house that was all the, the wallpaper is peeling off. It's full of mold. And he chopped her up and he ate her and um, saved the meat. He ate her over a course of a week. Oh, and wow. then um, it became a huge international news story and people were looking for him, but the trail was cold. They couldn't find him. But then he couldn't resist years later writing a letter to the mother describing in detail how he had chopped her up and ate her. It's oh, a my really God. famous true crime letter. It's, it's one of the most incredibly disturbing things you can ever read. But um, a, a very slick detective was able to use the envelope and trace the envelope back to a boarding house and uh, find out who had stayed at this boarding house. And it had been him and they, they caught him. Wow. And you've probably heard this. He when he got caught, he had he would stick needles into his groin and in between his testicles and his anus. He would shove sewing needles. And um, when they they x-rayed him, he x-rayed him and he had 35 sewing needles stuck in there. Oh my god, that sounds incredibly painful. He loved. He was a total masochist. He loved. He loved pain. He used to. Um, he had his own cat of nine tails. You know, like those whips that he mm-hmm. made himself, and he would beat himself. And he also had nail studded paddles that he would. Oof. His he had a bunch of kids, and his son says he walked in the room one time, and he's naked, furiously masturbating, while beating himself on the behind with a nail studded paddle that's covered in blood and little hunks of flesh Oof. That, that would be a weird thing to, that to will, walk into. i would immediately be the meme of uh homer simpson going back into the hedges yeah <laughs> I think that's basically what he did <laughs> like i'm gonna go <laughs> Jeez, that is really rough um i i just I understand a, a little bit of like, you know, BDSM and stuff like that. And the people that consent with all this stuff. And I have no qualms with that. But some people out there really take this way too far. Well, yeah, we constantly say on our show that if you're two consensual adults, there's nothing wrong. You, I mean, yeah. You can do whatever you want, but if someone's not consensual or there's a child involved, because a child cannot give consent. Yeah, no. So then, then you know, then it's very, very bad. Um, yeah. Yeah, I... That is so utterly disturbing. It's uh, got me off guard there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Albert Fish, he's a doozy. He liked to howl at the moon, too, and eat raw meat when the moon was full. And they they called him the werewolf of wisteria. Oh, wow. Jeez. Okay, so what are three of your, like, favorite novels that have, like, true crime in them that blend true crime into uh, fiction? Uh, American Psycho. Um, is a masterpiece of postmodernism. Um, Brad Easton Ellis is a, uh, he's one of my favorite authors, and uh, it's heavily influenced by Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was a Republican, clean cut yuppie, and um, 
so basically what Ellis was doing was was taking this idea of like the Republican clean cut yuppie and uh, transferring it over into like a, a one of those New York young New York stockbrokers at the time in the late 80s and uh, using that as a means of analyzing uh, consumer is consumerism in the American 80s, this uh, me generation of uh, as well as all of the pop culture kind of things such as like videotapes being able to rent pornography and um cocaine and and the club scene uh just it's just a fantastic book it have you read it i have not it, a lot of people get turned off for it because it's kind of <laughs> it there's a lot of boring parts cuz he will just every time he meets somebody he tells you exactly what they're wearing and like he's <laughs> like they have a Brooks Brothers suit on. They have an Armani tie on. They're they're wearing these kind of shoes because he's obsessed with like the look of things and the look of people, and he's obsessed with like um, like money and high fashion. Like how much money is there, is their clothes worth? There's like a couple pages on bottled water, <laughs> oh like gosh. Evian versus Perrier. Yeah, and then um. And then he goes into like modern culture, like Whitney Houston. There's like pages on like Whitney Houston and what she, what she means and like her thing. And then there'll be like a chapter where he takes rats and starves them in a cage, and oh, takes a woman and puts a tube in her vagina and and puts a starving rat into her so that the rat can begin to eat her insides out before oh. he chainsaws her in half. You know what I mean? It's like oh. juxtaposing like these really mundane like just uh, uh, um you know like um not very deep people like just very shallow culture this this culture of shallowness with the most incredibly extreme and disturbing uh brutal <laughs> torture and murder that that's probably ever been written i mean it's it's truly truly disgusting <laughs> That that is very disgusting. Oh my god! So I was thinking about one of these other true crimes that I was really interested in when it happened. It happened in Ohio. This guy had a dungeon with women in it, and kind of similar to. Have you seen the movie Black Fo- Phone? Yes. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. and I, the short story too. I'm a big joke. Yeah. So definitely kept uh, these women in a dungeon chained up to the walls and. Mm it it's pretty disturbing and they had gone uh and disappeared for more than a decade and they finally got saved by a neighbor who had heard them screaming for help but they were like yeah the one where they had children they they had a little kid and stuff right the uh, one girl had had a child i think so yeah oh yeah 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 i know that's that case that's yeah he was a the guy who did it was a bass player yeah yeah but yeah there ended up there was a child that came from it after in the like six years old child yeah and just absolutely bananas to me that and apparently the it wasn't just him it was his brothers too oh there was a case just the other day where this guy had a dungeon and um and he got caught Oh my god! It reminds me of the case in California where they had a, all of their chil- the couple had their children tied to beds, and they were just like 
not letting them go anywhere, not letting them get up to go to the bathroom or anything, feeding them from from their bed and everything. And it's just absolutely baffling to me that somebody would even have that thought process come through their head. Like, not just an intrusive thought of, I should run myself off the road, but, like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm a I'm a parent. I have two children, so like that, it's beyond my scope of of understanding. Part, part, yeah. I mean, all of this being beyond my scope of understanding is why I'm so fascinated by it. I think, um, you know, I've always been fascinated by horror and um, true crime. Is like just it's the real deal. It's it's real life monsters, and you're just like, how? Why? What is up with humanity? Yeah, that is. I don't. I don't get it. You know. Uh, um, so if you could write a book in a month and you were going to get paid for it, what would you write about? Well, the new book I'm working on is about, um, it's like a, a kind of a treasure hunt in a way. It's, um, there's this, um, little boy and his father's in prison. And when he visits him, the father says, this guy owed me this money and he died, but he left me this map to where this money's buried way out in the back hills. And oh, the wow. kid has to go out into the back hills and try to find where this supposed money is buried. And um, the back hills are just incredibly dangerous with like biker gangs and, and speed freaks and meth labs and, you know, all of that kind of jazz. And he's befriended by a, a little girl and it's like kind of like a, an adventure and a very incredibly pitch black, dark uh, treasure hunt adventure. Wow, that sounds really cool. Uh, speaking of your writing, how do you deal with sensitivity of like victims and stuff in your writing? Because that's something in true crime that gets overlooked quite a bit. Well, um, I try to have sympathy for everyone, include in, in my work. In true crime, it's hard to have a lot of sympathy for the villains because. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're dealing with someone who's um, a psychopath, they, they, they don't have empathy. They don't. I, I usually don't write about every now and then I will in a short story, but I don't usually write about psychopaths because there's something missing with them. They're broken people. So I don't find them as fascinating as a writer um, because you, you can't it, they're hard to sympathize with. Yeah, I, I like the the villains who you can like get in their head and, and kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing. And it's not necessarily for gratuitous reasons. It's more like selfish reasons. But, um, I mean, it, the issue you're bringing up is, is, is talked about a lot, the victims mm -hmm. and being sensitive with the victims. And it, it, it's very tough. It's because the victims deserve to have their stories told. They don't deserve to, you know, to, to not be known. Um, but at the same time, you want to present, flesh them out. But I mean, let's face it. Everyone's really fascinated with, with the killer and the crimes. Mm -hmm. um, some podcasts are very, very victim focused. And I like that. Uh, there's a one called Hillside about the Hillside Stranglers. And it's just all about the victims. And it's an excellent podcast. And, and, um, and it's about how some of the victims were treated unfairly and seen differently. Um, especially like the, there's a, a woman of color and she is just completely denigrated pretty much in the reports and called a 
prostitute and a drug addict. And it's not really oh, necessarily wow. true. She was going to secretarial school. She was, a, you know what I mean? She was like a, she had a daughter, she had a family. And, and then there's a white person who was also in secretarial school. They just, they both happen to be in secretarial school. And everyone's like, oh, student going to be a secretary. And, and the discrepancies between the way they're described in the press is, um, it, it's just atrocious and terrible. So I, I think when you deal with true crime, you have to take that into. Um, but I think I'm the kind of person who thinks that if you need a trigger warning, you probably shouldn't be reading extreme horror or, or delving into true crime. You know, like, um, for instance, Michelle McNamara, uh, you know, the author of the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark about the Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the um, so she delved into the crimes she renamed him he was originally named ear for east area rapist and he was also called the original night stalker she gives him a new name the golden state killer she starts writing about him she starts doing this research she starts contacting police and because of that this huge efforts made to um try to find him and eventually mm -hmm. his dna is gotten and uh because the santa barbara police didn't want to give any uh of the uh evidence up because they didn't like Santa Barbara being um, portrayed as a place where a murder could happen because it's like the yuppie beach community, you know, and uh, she I mean, she died before it happened. But if if it wasn't for her, the case never would have been solved. It never, ever would have been solved. But in yeah. doing so, she found all these crime scene photos. And so she put the crime scene photos out there and then victims of the of the um, of the crimes were complaining that the crime scene photos were out there and saying it was bad and, and like they had looked at them and they're like it hurt me to look at them like I got PTSD from looking at them and it's like why did you choose to look at them now yeah. you're going to insult this woman who solved the fucking crime did you want the guy to be free did you want him to not get caught because it was because of her that he was caught now you're going to like denigrate her because she put the crime scene photos out there. That's how he got caught that she had to get interest in the case. So yeah. I don't know. It's a double edged sword. I, I think that the victims deserve a lot of respect and, and, and you should try to handle it in a, in a mature in a, in a good way. But at the same time, if you've got issues, I don't, don't look, don't, you know, if my family was killed, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to look looking for the crime scene photos. I think I've, I've always put it that um, as somebody who has PTSD, I always put it that my the way I handle things is my own like my own effort. I have to do that on my own. I can't blame other people for reality. And if I go and read a horror book and it triggers something, or more specifically, a while back before I was in therapy to deal with my PTSD, um, I was watching Castle Rock, and when it, it when the chick takes this guy's eye out with a ice cream scoop that gave me a panic attack but like i didn't go and write net or the person who wrote the thing and like yell at them or anything like that i didn't go how dare you put that in there because it's not their fault and now that i've recovered a lot from my ptsd and learned how to cope with everything i could watch that scene no problem and i think that if you can just get into the mindset of my triggers are my responsibility, then life would be a lot easier, I think, for a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's interesting because that's 
that's you know what I mean it's um it you know I ice I don't know exactly what happened to you but an ice chip to the eye is something that you wouldn't think that you know I mean for most people that that wouldn't be a trigger you know what I mean everyone it just goes to show that everyone has these individual triggers not everyone's triggers are the same you mm -hmm. know what I mean and like really anything can trigger anybody you know. Uh, I mean, th there's an entire phobia that is just based around seeing holes, like too many holes in an area. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't. I don't know that. Uh, one. <laughs> uh, I think it's called tryptophobia. Uh, yeah, tryptophobia. It's an aversion or repulsion to objects like honeycombs and sponges that have repetitive patterns or clusters of small holes. Oh, I do know about that. My friend has got that. Yeah, it, it's such a wild one to me, but it's like, it's one thing if somebody's got that and you're like, hey, look at this sponge, because then you're the asshole, right? Because you're, <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. you know, and you're being a dick about it. But it's a whole nother thing if they like come across a sponge and then blame somebody for having a sponge in their house, you know? Right, right. I, it, it patterns do it to them too. Yeah, patterns as well. Yeah, I'm like, don't eat acid, dude. All you do is you see like weird patterns and shit. it'll be a <laughs> fucking nightmare. Holy shit. No joke. Uh, the last time I actually talked about this in um, one of the episodes on, on found footage for this podcast, I was talking about how when I watched Paranormal Activity, I was on acid. And it was the <laughs> first time I'd ever tried acid. And oh my God, watching that movie on acid made it 10 times better. <laughs> it's, it's a scary movie. Yeah, it's just wa watching it's, somebody it works. get drugged. It's good. Yeah, watching somebody get dragged down the stairs by an invisible entity when you're high off your your rocker like that is terrifying. Yeah, yeah I, I like that one. I thought that they they achieved some scariness. Um, I remember trying to watch The Shining once in the middle of the night, high on acid, when I was like a <laughs> little kid. I was like, I I got ate acid at a party for some reason, and then went home. And then I'm just sitting there like tripping balls all alone by myself. So I go down in the basement and I, I put the shining on and I couldn't watch it. I had to turn it off. I got so fucking freaked out. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> the like, music. <laughs> just that alone. It's amazing what your brain does to you, what you see and everything when you're on acid. Uh, I think that everybody should try it at least once in their life. Well, that's like a, a personal opinion. Unless you have any signs of schizophrenia or schizophrenia yeah. if, in your family. If, if you have it any triggers about, it really bad. Uh, yeah, or any paranoia whatsoever. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> try to be in a good headspace. Yeah. And have a babysitter. You got to have a trip sitter. Nice, yeah. Running water always helps, I think. Uh, you go to the forest and sit by a creek. Everything becomes very peaceful. Yeah, uh, the first time I ever did uh shrooms i actually sat by a creek and watched the water and my friend was sitting there going carmilla 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 for like an hour and i wasn't responding because i was so entranced by the water nice the wonders of nature hey there's very few cannibals who took acid first so i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting correlation to study it would be. <laughs> um, but I think one of the interesting things is how um, films constantly change true crime. Um, we just uh, had Harry McLean, this uh, author on, and he had uh, written a book about Starkweather. You know about that? Charles Starkweather. 
I have he not. Was a spree killer in the 1950s. So he went with his girlfriend and they killed all his girlfriend's parents. And then they went on a murder spree. And uh, Natural Born Killers is based on it. And um, uh, Badlands with Martin Sheen is based on it. Oh, wow. But in the real life case, it, it really appears that he had kidnapped her. She had nothing. She wasn't even there. Like he went to her house and killed her parents. And then he hid the bodies. And when she came home, he grabbed her and tied her up. Oh, my and God. Kept her at gunpoint. And um, but this idea of this romance, it was just too much for people to not want to accept the fact that it was a boyfriend and girlfriend deeply in love on a murder spree together. When she was actually a fucking kidnap victim, you know, and she ended up doing 20 years in prison. Oh, wow. That sucks. Yeah. And you watch Natural Born Killers and you know what I mean? It's like this Romeo and Juliet kind of image. And I don't think it was like that at all. And then they also gloss over some of the murders. Like in um in the real life story, he had killed her little sister who was a toddler by bashing her head in and then throwing a knife at her throat. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then in Natural Born Killers, when they kill the parents, the little brother comes out, and she's like, you're free now. Go, you're free. And you're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, not only are you like romanticizing the whole thing, but you're also romanticizing the actual murders and not getting in, you know, not showing how despicable and fucked up it was. Yeah, making it sound like the parents deserve to be murdered and everything. Yeah. Oof, just rough. Yeah, I think that true crime influences a lot of a lot of our media, and I think that's why we have like a large amount of people who are obsessed with serial killers. And I don't mean like, man, I love looking into serial killers. But I mean like in love with obsessed. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know? Groupies, like, serial killer groupies. Yep. And was it um, what was his name? Uh, Charles Manson was married to one of his groupies and no 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 <laughs> i thought it was i could have swore i don't know which one it was but one of them was married a to star one. maybe he didn't marry her oh he didn't marry her no it's uh, it's really fascinating um she wanted to marry him so that she could get his body and she was going to put it on display have it have it stuffed and put it on display Oh, that is insane. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish they had done it. Imagine how cool that would have been. I would have gotten a selfie Wild. with it. But, oh. um, yeah, you know, the, the Kenneth Bianchi, the one of the Hillside Stranglers, had a groupie, and he convinced her to go out and try to do a copycat murder, and he actually gave her some of his semen. He slipped oh her God. in prison, slipped her some semen, and he's like, put this on the body after you kill it. And they'll think that the real killer is still out there. And she went and straight up attempted to do it. Um, luckily, the woman she brought back, she uh, went to a bar and was like, asked this lady if she wanted to go back to her hotel room and do some coke with her. And when they did, she attacked the lady and tried to kill her. But I think the lady was, she she was, she had either been trained as a police officer or she was in the Navy, something, and like fought back and, and got away. Uh, and then, she, you know, she had, of course, what ended up going to prison. But um, it's insane. Like, Richard Ramirez had so many of them. He was famous for it. They all get them. Like, the, uh, what's his name? Chris. Oh, that that guy who murdered his family. He's got tons of them right now. Um, yeah, it's bizarre. 
uh, I've looked into that. I've actually read a couple books about the psychology of women who love serial killers. Um, I don't remember the name of the paraphilia. It's got a name for women who are attracted to murderers. Uh, a psychological name. It's, it's, I'm blanking out right now, but yeah, you could go on to like TikTok or something, and and you know what I mean. You can see tons of them talking about that they're into Jeffrey Dahmer, and he is fucking gay. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? You're like, you're like <laughs> he wouldn't have liked you anyway. <laughs> so it's called hybristophilia. Yes, hybristophilia. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah, that's. They say that it's just to commit crimes, but I think a lot of them more focused towards murder. Yeah, I wrote a short story about it. I was asked to write a short story for an anthology, and I wrote this. Sto- I wrote a story about a little, uh, about a little. She's like seventeen, eighteen year old girl who became a who became a, a serial killer groupie and was like going to visit the serial killer in prison and uh, fantasizing about being raped and shit. Oh, <laughs> like, oh my god i know that's what they said they're like we can't they're like this this is brilliant it's really well written we love it but we are not going to publish this sorry <laughs> sorry can so then i wrote up another stupid story about a haunted tattoo <laughs> that was like was this better and they're like yes thank you <laughs> um but the idea the the fantasy of being raped is an actual real thing and yeah. Uh, I think it comes from the desire of being overpowered, wanting to be overpowered. Masochism, yeah. Yeah. But truly, utterly disturbing, honestly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, okay, so let's talk about movies. What is your favorite scary movie? Oh geez, I don't know. I mean, I, I I get asked questions like this all the time, and every time it's like got a different answer. Um, I'll give you a, a movie that I think is terrifying and is supposed to be based on true crime, but if you, it's really not. Uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, I've heard that of one? that one. I haven't seen it yet, but I have heard of it. It's it's incredibly disturbing, and 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 it's um there's something about it uh that's just gets under your skin and really horrifies you. Um. There's some, uh, there's a little bit of found footage in it, or because he's mm. he's carrying a video camera around, and there's this one scene where like they go and they they kill this family, and it's it's just ugh, gnarly. Oof. But that one was supposed to be based on Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, and um, I don't know if you've ever delved into them, but they were just a bunch of liars. Like <laughs> Henry <laughs> Lucas said he killed like 300 people or something, and he he definitely did not, and uh, and they were actually lovers. <laughs> so oh, wow. <laughs> Very different than the movie version, but um, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think? True, how true crime is going to influence horror fiction within the next five years? Just the same way it's been going along, you know. You think uh, so? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, there'll be new cases. People will be digging back into the old cases, changing it up, trying to romanticize it, which uh. I'm not really the biggest fan of. Um, I think it, you should talk about how disturbing it is. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, definitely. I mean, true crimes, people think that true crime is really popular now, and it is. It absolutely is. But uh, the truth is, true crime has always been popular, incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde, when, when Bonnie and Clyde died, people ran to the car and started cutting pieces of the clothing off 
And then the cops had to come because someone tried to actually cut Clyde's trigger finger off as a souvenir. Oh, my God. That's how into true crime people were back in the 20s. So <laughs> I feel like people are still very much that much into true crime. A the lot souvenir of a, thing's a little... <laughs> it's a little much. It's a little much. Yeah. So what is one question that you wish I would have asked you? Oh, um... I don't know, man. Uh, how come I'm such a good writer? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I think we've covered a lot. I mean, I'm having fun. Um, I really, I really, I really don't know. <laughs> so, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And is there anything last notes you want to touch on? Um. Uh, I don't know. We could talk about Charlie Manson some, but it's already been done so much. <laughs> yeah, he's an overdone. I'm topic obsessed for sure. with that guy. <laughs> so, where can my uh, listeners find you online? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Um, www.murdercoasterpodcast.com is our website for our podcast um and murder coaster podcast is available everywhere you get podcasts spotify apple iHeartRadio, everywhere else and um my website is www.matthewvbrockmeyer.com and um yeah i'm, I'm out there <laughs> i'm not too hard to find just google me awesome uh what are some parting words um Stay safe and don't eat anybody. Yeah, be please, happy. please don't eat anybody. <laughs> Why is cannibalism so rampant? <laughs> <laughs> be careful. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show, Matthew. I had a great time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You've been listening to Cat Scratch Radio, a Ford podcast with your host, Carmilla Mays, also known as Matu C. Lawrence. If you want to find me on social media, just look up MX Carmilla.